you so much for that great reminder. You are the God of miracles. I know there's people here today who need a miracle in their life. God, would you just continue to reaffirm that you are a God who cares. You're a God who knows. You see what we are going through. And even today as we talk about step after step after step that we take with you, God, we might not see that miracle happen right away. We might not see it happen overnight or even in the course of a week. But, God, we know that as you work in our hearts and you work in our lives, you are that God of miracles, and you know what is best for us. You do the impossible. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that here today. Would you work on our hearts in a great way? As we submit to you now, we open up your word, and as we see how you would want us to know what you'd want us to know, how you'd want us to live In this world that is shaking, Lord, we are not shaken because we trust in you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, you may have a seat. Great to have you here this morning. My name is Pastor Brad, senior pastor here at First Baptist. You have an outline. If you would take that out. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If uh, you don't have a Bible that you brought, you can pick one up on the way out. It's in our uh, Next Step Center, which is right in the middle of that large room right out here. Um, but there should be a Bible underneath your chairs or upstairs in the pews as well. Uh, well, hey, let me ask you a question just to begin things. Has anyone here ever competed in the Olympics? Just, just curious. Any, anybody? Okay, okay. Has anyone ever enjoyed watching the Olympics? Can we go, can we go that way? Okay, all right. A, a, a month from today, we will be in the middle of the Winter Olympics that are um, going to be taking place in South Korea. And um, I, I thought about this scenario. Let, let's say that you are there in front of your television. You got your Twinkies and your Ho-Hos and your Ding Dongs, and you are just like throwing them down. You're watching the Winter Olympics. And let's say you get a knock on the door, and it's an urgent message. And a crew of people come in and they say, good news, we are from the Summer United States uh, Olympic Committee. We have been on the run looking for someone for a long time to run the marathon for the summer games that are coming. We have statistics on every person in the entire nation on our computer. We've checked everyone's records. We've gone all the way back to the president's physical fitness test in grade school. Remember that one? Yeah. We have looked at every body type, every bone structure, every bit of body fat, and we have determined that out of two or 325 some odd million people in the United States, you are the one person who can bring home the gold medal in the marathon. It's you. You have been selected. You have been chosen. This is the chance of your lifetime. Now, you're probably very surprised by that because the farthest that you have like ran in the last decade has been from the couch to the refrigerator, right? That's probably more along what you have done. But, but when you imagine this, you begin to picture yourself amongst the world athletes. In fact, you picture yourself winning that, running across the line. You picture yourself going before the judges and the committee. You picture yourself bowing down. They put the gold medal upon you. You stand up tall. You put your hand upon your heart. And what do they play? 
Star Spangled Banner, yes, they play that for America because you are the American that has now brought home the gold medal. And as you kind of picture that, you have this great passion that maybe even becomes alive in you. In fact, it begins to dominate your mind. It becomes your central focus when you get out of bed in the morning. You think, I can do this. And then it dawns on you that you cannot run the marathon. You never have. You never thought that you would, but it's becoming alive in you now. And you're saying to yourself, I couldn't even do it if I tried really, really hard. 26 some miles. I can't do that. But then you begin to rearrange your priorities. You begin to rearrange your schedule. And you begin to say, you know what? I think I can do this beyond just trying really hard if I train really hard. There's a big difference there. You come to learn, you come to think, you come to realize that it's not just going to be about trying, but it's going to be about training. As we're going through this series, Mission FBC, last week we talked about knowing Jesus. Today we're going to talk about growing in Jesus. The thing that we need to realize is that it's not just about trying to grow in Jesus. It's going to be about training to grow in him. Because just like if you were an athlete entering into some sort of great um, uh, 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 athletic competition, or whether you were joining in with some sort of a Spartan race, or just a 5K walk, whatever it may be, that you can't just get out there and try, but you have to go through a time of training. And that's the goal, is you're going to step into this of growing in Jesus and, and becoming more like him. You need to do more than just try, but you really need to begin to train. And that's what we've been talking about here. When you look at our mission statement, helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known, you have a next step. A race is completed from you taking one step after another step after another step. Growing in Jesus is done by taking one step after another step after another step. And to grow in Jesus is not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of training wisely. There's a huge difference between trying to do something and training to do what that something is. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's why Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul was really a mentor to Timothy, and he encouraged him, and he said this. Paul used a lot of athletic terms. He said, physical training, Timothy, it's good, but training for godliness is so much better. Promising benefits for this life, and the life to come. I mean, think about that. That your faith that you have right now, the reason you are here today is to grow in your faith. It's not just so you can have eternal life. It's not just so that heaven can away. It's so that you can grow in your life today and the goodness of your life today and the relationships you have with other people today and how to raise your children today or raise your grandchildren today. It, it helps in the life that you experience here and now as well. Not only the life to come. And Paul goes on and he tells the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last how long? That will last forever. That's why we're doing this. You know, it says um, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. Paul was very familiar with this athletic imagery. He knew of the Isthmian games. 
that were second in prominence only to the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games go way back that we're going to be having here in February and then again uh, two years from now um, uh, in the Summer Olympics. But um, in 51 AD when Paul was alive, and and Paul, by the way, was a tent maker. He did that beyond being a missionary and an apostle for Jesus Christ. He was a tent maker as well. He may have well made tents for some of the visitors and the contestants that were needing accommodations to go into these Ithmian games, which were a lot like the Olympic games that we celebrate today. And so Paul knew that the athletes didn't just try really hard. He knew that it would take like 10 months of training, of, 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 of working hard, of training hard. And if they weren't, they were going to be disqualified. Because they didn't train hard enough. So Paul uses that kind of terminology. Look what he says in verse 27 of chapter 9. He says, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize that I see. See, if, if I said, I was watching Damon play up here today. I mean, he is a master at the keyboard here. Oh, that's still on. At the keyboard here. This is about as good as I can do right now, okay? Okay, that, that, that's about all I got. I could never sit down and play the way Damon plays. Uh, here or on this piano is amazing. I can see from my angle, it's kind of got a reflection on the back of this. You just see all these uh, uh, keys pl- coming up and back and forth, these wires being plucked j- just perfectly. You can even see his feet are moving down there. That doesn't just happen. That has happened because over the years, Damon has played, and he's played, and he's played. And he hasn't just played for like three years. He hasn't even just played for 30 years. It's probably been some 40-plus years that he has played and practiced and trained so that when he gets in front of us, he doesn't have to think, this hand goes over here, this hand goes over here, I pluck it here, I pluck it here, I pluck it here, I pluck it. Kind of reminds me of the classic pianist Petruski, who played um, with a coach, and he is, he is one of the best, and yet he would always do scales to begin whenever he would play. And his coach would watch him and critique him as he did these scales back and forth, back and forth, back and forth across the piano. And one day some people asked him, and they said, you know, why do you play scales every day? And he said, if I miss playing scales for one day and then I play in public, they don't all know, but I know I missed one day. He says, if I miss playing scales for two days, and then I play in public, public doesn't know, but I and my coach, we know. And if I miss playing scales for three days, and I then play in public, that's when the whole world knows that I haven't been doing that. You know, that is so true with us and reading God's Word, that is so true with us and being at church. I mean, it is so true that we we get here and and we come and we started off the new year right. We came on the first Sunday, we came on the second Sunday, but then something comes up on the third Sunday, and so we miss a week. 
And then we think about, are we going to come back next week? Well, I missed a week, and I wasn't able to watch it online, and so now I'm kind of out of sync. And Well, no, I'll get there. I'll try and get there. And then something happens, and we don't, and then we miss two weeks. And then we feel like, oh, my goodness, now I'm out of sync. And then the, the evil one begins to say, you don't belong there. You don't need to go there. You don't need that kind of fellowship. You don't need that kind of teaching. You don't need to be in the worship. Ah, just stay home and watch the television. We prayed about that this morning, didn't we, Miss Helen? That people wouldn't stay home and just watch the evangelists on television. They wouldn't just do church at their homes because that's not the way it's designed to be. It's designed to be in fellowship with one another. It's designed to be taught in that way. It's designed to have worship and praise with others together. Don't find yourself isolated. Satan loves nothing more than that. And then all of a sudden it's been a month and you say, well, maybe I just don't need to go. And now your wife or your husband or maybe your kids notice that you're not the person that you used to be. They notice that you're not gracious and loving and caring. And you've missed your Bible reading. You've missed your praying. And now this is all just working against you. You know what? It's at those moments where you just stop. You say, it's okay. Let's go pick yourself up and say, God, you meet me right where I'm at. And I'm ready now to take the next step. We keep falling. It's okay. You keep falling, you get back up. You keep falling, you get back up. You keep falling, you get back up. You don't come for a while, you get back up. You get back in. Say, I need to be there. I need to be in that fellowship. But I also need to be before God's word. I need to be taught God's word. And I need to do feeding on my own of myself. And learning to think, to feel, to act like Jesus is at least as demanding as playing an instrument or of training to run a marathon. Okay? That's what we need to do when we grow. So, so let me kind of see how we get at this. Um, just as you are getting ready to train for your marathon, I kind of talked at the beginning of the message here. Let's say that you're also going to take some training steps in your faith. And so Paul says it like this. If you have uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict, what's the word there, strict training. Yeah, not just strict trying. I'm not going to try. Okay, I'm going to train myself to do this. Now look at what he actually says the verse before that. He says in verse 24, you do, uh, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run then in such a way as to get that prize. And I've shared this thought before. It's one of my life verses that you don't have to win the race. But train as though you are going to win it. Train and then run as though you're going to win it. That's really what Paul was getting into. So, so what does this look like? Well, for those of you who might be in your college years or early high school or late high school, early college years, or maybe even your young adult years, Perhaps it starts with an understanding and identity of who you are in Christ. That's no longer just your parents' faith. Or if you're raised by your grandparents, it's no longer your grandparents' faith. But you begin to make the right decisions. You now have trained. You now have memorized God's word. You now have read it and see how it speaks to you. And you come to a place of realizing, you know what? It's okay not to drink when everyone gets together and that's just what they're doing. It's okay to not to smoke the marijuana when we get together because that's what everybody's doing. And you come to a place of saying, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's still stupid, all right? And you say, no, that's not what I mean. That's not what I need in my life. And maybe you also, because your identity in Christ, now sit down before a computer when everyone's gone and no one's home and you have a chance and you can go to any website you want. And you realize, that's not what I need to do. I'm more than that. God made me to be more than that. 
God made me to be a child and to do the right things because it's the right thing to do to honor him. Maybe as a young adult, early years of forming your own faith out of the home, you just need to keep your faith alive and take those steps. Maybe in your single years. No matter what age you are, you need to come to realize that um, you don't need someone else to complete you. That one is a whole number. We've had that phrase around here for, for years at First Baptist. One is a whole number. And so you find contentment, not in someone else, but you find that contentment in Christ and where he has you in your life at this point in time. And maybe you feel like you're in a waiting period, but you're taking steps of obedience. And you're saying, God, this might be uncomfortable, it might be a little lonely for me, but I want to be obedient as you grow in your faith with him. Maybe it's running a business with integrity. I don't know what it may be in your workplace, but, but, but you have that kind of integrity in your workplace. Maybe in your married years, uh, running to win would mean valuing your spouse above any other earthly commitment that you have and making sure they know that. That's very important. Men, we would die for our wives, but sometimes we forget just to open our hearts to them just to speak to them one-on-one, letting them know that they are more valued than anything else here on earth except your relationship with God. And maybe that's your next step that you need to do to grow more like Christ, to be available and to be open to them, to show that love. Maybe it means that in your business, you don't lose your family. Some of you are racing so hard in your business and workplace that maybe you're forgetting at the end of the finish line, you want to cross that with your spouse, you want to cross that with your family with you. It's keeping your integrity as an example for other people. Maybe those are some of your next steps in growing. Whatever it may be in all of life, training to win means keeping an eternal perspective. Paul talks about that constantly. Keep the eyes focused on the prize. Keep your eyes focused on the finish line. Keep your eyes focused on Christ and what he wants you to be as you grow in him. This last week, um, the name Holly Butcher uh, became kind of predominant on social media and across the news. Uh, Holly Butcher is from Grafton, Australia. Here's a picture of her up here on the screen. Um, she was an athlete representing her state in squash and hockey there in Australia. But she developed uh, Ewing uh, sarcoma, an extremely rare form of cancer, and this last week she died. That wasn't what was unique about her life. What was unique about her life is kind of how she um, recorded it and wrote about it and shared in her last uh, few weeks of life. In fact, why it became news is because her family put out on Facebook some of her thoughts and some of the things that she was thinking at the end of her life as she was preparing to die. Let me just read you some. She writes, it's a strange thing to realize and accept your mortality at 26 years young. It's just one of those things that you ignore. The days tick by and you just expect they will keep coming and keep coming and keep coming until the unexpected happens to you. She writes about how life is fragile, it's precious, it's unpredictable. She says each day you need to view it as a gift, not as a given right. She advises us to work to live, don't live to work. She even talks about some of the little things, the frustrations that might get us in life and tend us off in a tailspin or in a tirade. She says, you might have gotten caught in bad traffic today or had a bad sleep because your beautiful babies kept you awake or your hairdresser cut your hair too short. 
She said, don't get caught up in all of it. She says, I swear to you, we'll not be thinking of those things when it's your turn to go. She notes that life is not in our control. I don't want to go. I love my life, she says. I'm happy with it. And I owe that to my loved ones. But the control is out of my hands. But she says, here's what you can control. Tell your loved ones you love them every time you get the chance. And love them with everything you have. You know, facing death so often brings great clarity to life. And Paul would say the same thing. Live with an eternal perspective. Live, live as though you're crossing the finish line and looking back. And think about that. If you were there today, what would you do differently? Maybe in your teenage years. What would you do differently in your 20s or your 30s? What would you do differently even in your 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever they may be? Start doing that today. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, as you grow to become more like Him. So you say, okay, what are some steps that I can actually take in this? What am I supposed to do? What am I exactly supposed to do? What are, what are some of my different things that I'm supposed to Well, for one thing, I don't think it's sitting on your couch eating Twinkies, all right? That's not where I know your next step is. But let me put some general guidelines in front of you for your training plans. All right? Here it is. If you have your outline, let's go over these real quickly. Number one, things to remember about growth. Don't equate accomplishing the steps with automatic growth. Let me say that again. Don't equate accomplishing the steps with automatic growth. What, what do I mean by that? I had a young mom email me last week just encouraging me and saying thank you for the reminder to get into God's Word and how important that is. She was kind of talking about how hard it is with young kids in the household to find that time to open up her Bible. And I reflected back to when I was in that stage. And I even thought, I thought, you know what? When I got up early reading my Bible and my three-year-old got out of bed and was requiring my attention, I can't yell at him, shut up and stay in your room because daddy's letting God know how to love and be more loving, okay? That, that's not what you do at that point in time. You don't just read through the Bible to get through the Bible. You read through the Bible to get the Bible through you. And so this is like the textbook. We read this, but then those little kids are our lab. We put it into practice. Your grandkids are the lab, you put it into practice. Your work associates are the lab, you put it into practice. Your wife or your husband is the lab, you put it into practice. That irritating person at work that you just hate hearing from them, they're the lab that you put into practice. And so you train, yes. You get God's word into you, yes. You grow to become more like Christ, but then God uses those situations. And don't just assume, okay, I got through the Bible. I got through, I got through my reading. That was what I was supposed to do. You don't read the Bible to get through it. You read the Bible to get it through you. As you read through Scripture, you see that Jesus, he places a high, high value on um, motives in people's hearts. Because when you have the right motives, that's what spills over into everyday life. When you grow in knowing Jesus, then you grow in making him known in very practical ways. When you grow in loving Jesus, you grow in loving the people that Jesus loved. 
And, and that can be very tiring. I, I, I mean, let me be real honest. At different stages of your life, we can get really bogged down. We can get really tired just with life. And Satan uses the busyness of our schedules and things to kind of just, just, just get us off focus. I mean, it is hard to pray when you are tired. Just ask the disciples about that one, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane. They fell asleep on Jesus. Jesus was like, couldn't you even stay awake for just a bit? It's hard to love people when you are on edge. In fact, for some of you, the most spiritual thing that you can do this afternoon is go home and take a nap. It's true. Come early to church if you have to wake up a little bit early, all right? Then go home and take a nap so that you're ready, you're refreshed. Now, actually, if you're not feeling like you need a nap, let me tell you something else you can do. We have um, an owner in our church of the new ABA, the Basketball American Basketball Association, um, that called me up this last week and said, Hey, Pastor Brett, have you seen kind of what we're doing? I said, Yeah, I actually read about it in the paper. Um, About two or three weeks ago, there was a big front page um, section on that. This is what the NBA grew into. Um, So this is kind of the formation, kind of the minor leagues Um, uh, that's been around for years and years. And we have a new team here in Stockton. The owner attends our church. Um, And he said, would you come down and pray for it at at the opening of the game? I said, really? You'd want me to come pray? I said, don't you get any flack for that? He says, nope, I'm the owner. I can do what I want to do. I thought, good for you. Good for you. It's down at the uh, arena, um, so huge auditorium, and he's actually giving away tickets for free. He's just putting the word out there to have people come. And so I said, I'll let our people know if it's something that they'd like to do. I'm thankful for a business owner who says, I'm going to put God first, even in my business. And what I do, I'm going to be bold about that. I'm going to share that. So look that up. See what that's about. Even today, you can come. It's for free that you can go. See, here's the goal, though, with your next step in growth. Here's how you know you are growing. Get this. You might even want to write this down. It's going to come quickly, but here it goes. When you can become a person, as a person, you can become someone who does the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right spirit. And I'll say that again, okay? When you, you are growing like Christ, when you can become someone who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right spirit. When that just becomes natural for who you are. And you don't have to think about, like I was saying here, I got to play with my left hand, my right hand, my right left hand. I gotta, now I got to step up here and I got to read the word. No, when it just comes natural. And it comes that way after you've been in God's word. It comes that way after you've spent time with him. It comes that way after you've prayed. It comes that way after you've meditated. It comes that way when you keep him in front of your life every day. That's the training that we go through. Now, if some of you are saying, well, you know what? I'd love to be trained more like that. I'd love to be mentored. We have a great ministry that Pastor Derek helped start up this last year called a mentoring ministry. And there are mentors right now who are willing to work with you on a one-on-one basis if you would like. I know numerous ones have gone through that in the last year, and they have grown by leaps and bounds. In fact, I've loved seeing it happen so much that I said, you know what, maybe it's not a one-on-one, but let's do it a little bit more. Let's get some other people into this. And so on Wednesday night, I'll be leading the class, going through those same materials. And we'll have some people there who are willing to go through those materials with you to help you grow and to take that next step. 
You know, for some of you, it might be your physical body. In fact, I think Alicia Smith, she was up there. Um, you're teaching your class right afterwards up in the XF room in the children's building on health. And so if your next step is to say, I need to get healthier in my life. I need to eat better. It's, again, it's listed on the brochure of the different or the flyer of the different classes that we have going on here at First Baptist. They're not all just coming on Wednesday night. Some of them are on Sunday morning. And as we said, the Mom Strong is on Mondays. Look at those classes because those are some of the next steps. Those are some of the growing opportunities that you need to take. It's not just about trying. It's about training. In fact, look at this next verse here, Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Last week we talked a little bit about salvation versus sanctification. That salvation is a one-time act that happens to you by receiving Christ. And sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. That's the growth step that you take. Look what Paul says about that. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both in will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, for just a moment here, let me, let me kind of drill down on this verse for just a second here. Because it looks like works are connected in with salvation. When really what he's talking about here is the maturing process that we go through. He says, work it out to the finish. Work it out to completion. And so we take that one-time act of salvation, of receiving Christ into our life, and then we work through the daily process of how to become more like Christ, of growing like Christ, of growing into Christ, what he, his being, his essence upon us. That's the sanctification process. In fact, on your outline, would you circle the phrase work out? It's under that first point in Philippians 2. Circle work out and then works in. Work out and works in. We work out what God, by his grace, has worked in to us. We work out, we develop, and we complete our changed life in becoming more like Christ. Okay? In fact, how many of you how many of you work out on a regular basis? Okay? Yeah, the rest of you, that's why you're not chosen for the marathon with the Olympics, all right? Come on now. Let's do it, all right? All right? You don't work out though. You don't work out because you have a physical body. You already have a body. You work out to develop that body. Same thing with salvation. You accept Christ, and so you have salvation. Then you work out to develop that salvation. That's the sanctification process. And as you do, you get results. Your physical body, you work out. You develop more muscle. Hopefully, you lose weight. Spiritually, you work out to develop fruit and good works in your life. That's the workout, work-in process that Paul's talking about. Some of you are here over the fall time. When I shared a little bit about that and how, you know, James talks about don't just read the word, but do it. And, and I used an illustration about how, you know, uh, we could get some study of Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, book of, of, of bodybuilding. And we could read it. We could highlight it. We could even talk about it. We could form a small group about it. We can even go walk in the footsteps of Arnold in Austria and, uh, Austria and some of those kinds of things. And, you know, we kind of thought that that was funny. You got the point. All right, I get it. Well, my smart Alex staff um, thought that that was a great thing to remember. And so for Christmas time, they all came together and they pitched in and they got me the Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
So there it is. In fact, it says the ultimate book on bodybuilding, now in paperback, which is so thankful that it's not a hardcover because this thing is heavy. I mean, you could work out just by picking up this thing. But, but they gave it to me at the Christmas party. And so I started looking through it, and it, it's pretty funny who Arnold used to look like and what he was doing. But I said, okay, then tomorrow, 8 a.m., how many are going to join me? Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> Nobody showed up. Right? It, 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 it's a huge difference between coming to church, hearing what is said, but then taking the step to put it into practice. And that's what we need to get to. And don't just take the steps to say, check, box, done. That doesn't dictate automatic growth. In fact, the second point there kind of goes along with this, and that's this. Respect the freedom of the Spirit. Respect the freedom of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? John chapter 3, verse 8. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus gives him a little teaching time. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you're... You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, the difference between boating, going boating with a motorboat and a sailboat, let me explain that for just a second because you can think about how this might tie in spiritually. With a motorboat, we run that by ourselves, you take some gas, you fill up the engine, you, you start the engine, or, you know, this way with a key, or pulling it like this. You're in control, you've got the throttle, or you turn it, and you'll go wherever you want to go. But with a sailboat, you're dependent upon the wind. And so you hoist the sail up, you steer the rudder, but if there's no wind, you don't go anywhere. What our goal in life should be is to do whatever enables us to be in position to catch the wind. You don't know when that wind's going to come. You don't know exactly when God's going to blow across. But God will use situations in your life. He'll use different times in your life to say, I'm delivering something fresh and new to you, and you want to be there to catch that. Nicodemus is is just like this. This Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus when he came at nighttime to hear this because his religious leader friends were saying, you don't want to go by that fisherman teacher. What has he got to teach you? We know the scripture. We know what to do. But Jesus would say, you're not doing it. You know it, but you don't do it. And so Nicodemus keeps showing up. And in John chapter 7, we see him coming and he's talking with Jesus and he's talking with the Sanhedrin leaders and he's coming back into the story that John mentions because Nicodemus is putting himself in the radius of Jesus. And then at the end of his life, when Jesus dies, who's there to help take him to the tomb? But Nicodemus once again. And so you can see kind of covertly that Nicodemus is putting himself into a place where he can grow. You know, Moses didn't arrange for the burning bush. Think about this. Moses didn't arrange for the burning bush. But once it was there, he had to make the decision to inquire, to take those steps, and to follow through. And so the teaching from there is that it's God's responsibility to provide the burning bush, but it's our responsibility to be in position to respond to the burning bush. Put yourself in places where you see what God is doing. Because the Spirit will blow. This 
this last Wednesday. If you missed Wednesday night, you missed a great, great time of sharing. We, we, I, I shared some vision about the upcoming year for First Baptist, uh, and we had four people share their testimonies, um, or four different families. We had Rich and Beatrice Ressa. Is Rich here? Oh, way up there at the top. You guys did a great, great job, Rich and B, of sharing their testimony of where God has brought them in their married years, how God has brought them even to having one child biologically, but then adopting other children. And, and they just kind of shared their story. Not our timing, but God's timing. How God has been working on them and making them more like Christ and sharing their household with these people. Nikki um, Lowry shared as well. Um, she's a new children's pastor. Many of you don't know her story. I said she's got to share that at some point in time, just like I want Rich and B uh, to share their testimony as well at some point in time in here. But Nikki, um, years ago when she was just a young child, uh, their family went through a really nasty, ugly breakup, and they were associated here with First Baptist. And so First Baptist got around them and said, how do we protect these young kids? How do we continue to be Jesus to them and continue to see that they come and continue to see that they grow? And Nikki's a product of that. And she had tears in her eyes because she realizes the, the vastness of her responsibility now as she is working with kids just like when she was a child and growing them to become more godly here at First Baptist Church. There were other testimonies that were shared. Jeremy Silva and his wife shared about a young family coming here to First Baptist, growing in their faith, getting involved with the men's ministry, getting involved with youth. Uh, Michelle Dorman shared about Dean. We've shared some of that story. Many times we shared that story. But Michelle was able to give testimony again, just how God worked things out throughout this upcoming year. And, and there's still a battle. They're still going through that, but we got to see Dean. Is Dean here, Michelle, Marty? Not, not, okay, they might here be the next service. But we got to see Dean even walking on some bars that he would use to walk in his feet, operating, working. You can see just a smile on his face that God's working. God's working. And they still praying that God 100% will heal him. We don't know if that'll come about in our timing. We don't know if that'll come about in how we want to see that take place. But we pray in great faith. But truth of the matter is, respect the freedom of the Spirit because God will blow his spirit across. Be ready. Be in the right place to catch that. Let me go through the last points really quickly. Third one's this. Understand your unique temperament. Your unique temperament and gifts. In fact, Romans 12.1 says like this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself or himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. We don't all grow in the same way. That's why we say helping people take their next step. I learned this really early on in my marriage when I was attending seminary. There was a seminary professor who was just open and honest about his struggles when he first got married. Um, he shared about how, you know, he was a pretty disciplined person, would always wake up early in the morning, do his Bible reading and praying, Bible reading and praying every morning. That was his ritual. And then he gets married. And he still continued that discipline, that training of getting up early, reading his Bible and praying. But he noticed his wife, his new wife, his newlywed wife, was not getting up and doing it in that way. And he would do it for a week, and then he did it for a month, he did it for another month, and he would all of a sudden notice that I'm still doing this, and she's not doing this. Why isn't she learning from my example? I'm the spiritual leader here. She should be doing this. And he, and he kind of became a little resentful 
He kind of, you know, kind of stole the joy from him um, and became a little indignant and self-righteous. And then God just put it upon his heart to say, she's not your responsibility in that. She will grow in her own way. And she was. She was developing her relationship with Christ, uh, reading at different times. And she soon was a young mom and child-rearing them and such. And God was just working on her in a different way. It's not for us to judge because we all do things differently. I don't judge you and your growth. You don't judge me on my growth as long as we are growing, though, more like Christ. And we help each other. We encourage each other. We spur each other on, yes, but it doesn't have to be done in the same way. And so we respect that about the temperaments and how we grow to Christ, into Christ, being like Christ. Fourth point on the outline, take into account your season of life. Take into account your season of life. I'm always amazed by the Psalms and how David speaks just with openness of heart. He says in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then just one Psalm later, says the Lord's my shepherd. I don't have anything to fear or want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You might have a season of life where you're going through a drought, a tough time. Maybe those years of child rearing, as I said, a young mom or maybe a young dad, you got pressures and things on your life, and maybe it's a little tougher. Maybe in your college years, young adults, it's hard to read and get in front of God's Word. Maybe just three minutes of pausing and looking at a verse will take you more than 30 minutes or three hours would take if you weren't doing it with the right heart. And so take into account your season of life and know that God can and will continue to work on you when you're open. But don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Just say, oh, well, you know what? This is just the way I learn. I just sit on the couch. I watch TV. That's how I do it. No, 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 no. We naturally drift into selfishness and laziness. Training isn't easy. It takes work. Take those steps. Do the work. Like, let, me, let me share with you a little bit about some training of another kind, kind of a marathon of another kind, marathon in marriage. Let me share this illustration, and then I'll be done. There was an author that I was reading about who was attending his niece's wedding reception. And as you know, at many of those wedding receptions, people like to have some dance and such. And so there was an MC, and he called all the couples out onto the floor. And then he said, now let me dismiss those of you couples who are not married. And so those who are not married walked off the floor. And he said, I'm going to now eliminate those of you who have been married for um, under one week. And obviously the bride and the groom walked off the floor. He said, now I want those of you who have been married for less than a year to step off the floor. Yes, then five years, less than 10 years, less than 25 years. And the author said at 25 years, that's when he and his wife stepped off the floor. And then what was left after he went through all those years was one couple. It was a courtly silver-haired man who stood a foot taller than his wife, but they had been married for 53 years. And they were the ones who danced the last dance. And everybody watched them as they danced, but they didn't care who was watching them. They were watching each other because you could see the love that they had for one another. Everybody began to kind of contrast the love that they had seen at the ceremony of the newlyweds and that bright and effervescent kind of beauty of marriage, but then the, the love of this couple as well, another kind of love, a deeper love that shone 
for 53 years. And then the master of the ceremonies turned to the couple that just got married that day and said this. He said, take a good look at the couple on the dance floor right now. He said, think about how long they've been together and what it took to ride the ups and the downs of marriage and of life. He said, your task now is to live and love each other in such a way as 53 years from now, you will be the last one on this dance floor. He said, that journey begins today. And the author says, it was at that moment that we were struck with the mystery of the brevity of life. Because when that bride looked at her husband, she didn't see an aging grandfather. She saw a young, tan tennis champion that she married five decades before. And when that groom looked at the woman across dancing with him, he didn't look at a grandmother in her 70s. He saw a lovely effervescent belle that he married as a teenager. The author said, I know those details because that was my parents who were out there on that dance floor, dancing in front of everyone and specifically dancing and showing a love that their granddaughter, Courtney and David, should live like, should love like, should grow into an understanding. He says, I thought, what would my life be like from 53 years from now? He said, that young couple, I pray, is out there on that dance floor dancing. But he said, I want to be on that floor dancing as well. He said, in 53 years, my mother will be gone, my father will be gone, my wife will be gone, and I'll be 104 years old. But he said, I don't want to miss that dance. I want to love my wife. I want to care for my kids. I want to give to my friends. I want to give life to my friends. I want to give life to God who made me. I want to do what God has loved me to do. And I want to bless the world around. I want to flourish at all of life. And he said, the truth is, this mortal life is not the whole story. This is just a schooling for the next, a time of preparation in the life to come. And what matters most is not the achievements that you accomplish, It's the person that you become when you grow like Christ. That's the person who goes on into eternity. And that's the person that you, First Baptist, and me, that's the person that we are training to be as we grow into the person that God has called us to be, like Jesus. This year, may you grow as you have never grown before as God works in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for the high calling that you have given to us to be like your son. Thank you for what that means. Experiencing Jesus through the ups and downs of life, spirit living inside of us. Experience him through the words that we read, that we study. Experiencing him through the times of meditation and prayer. Experiencing him through others as they help refine us and mold us and shape us. Some in ways that we enjoy and some in ways that we don't. But Lord, we know that you can use all circumstances. You can use all things that happen to us, good and bad, 
to make us more like your son, Jesus. And so as we talk about how to grow in our faith and become more like Jesus, how to grow in our faith and become more like Jesus, my prayer is that we would be a church body who are on that road, running that race and running it together. Lord, that we would look to the left and the right. We'd be encouraging one another. We wouldn't be talking down to each other, but we'd only be talking up, encouraging, and say, come on, you can do this one foot after the other, one step after the other. Lord, even as we provide classes right after this service, even as we provide classes on Wednesday night, even as we provide community groups throughout the week, Lord, I pray that we'll be always encouraging each other to take that next step, knowing you and making you known, growing in our faith. And at the end of this year, we would look more like Jesus. And Lord, this year of growth would come about. Jesus, you would shine through us, your spirit alive in us. We love you. We thank you. God, I thank you that you have been such a good, good father. You will always be that good father to us as we focus upon you. May that reality that we are your child become alive in us. We love you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.